Welcome back to Connecticut's The CT Dems Podcast. My name is David Kostek with the Connecticut Democratic Party. Well, the November elections might seem years away. Of course, they're months away, but uh, we're starting to see people file for those elections already. Uh, It's shaping up to be a pretty exciting season here in Connecticut. There are five, count them, five open state Senate seats. Um, That'll make for a lot of interesting campaigning as the candidates emerge there. And we've, of course, have the governors reelect and Senator Blumenthal running toward the top of the ticket. Lots going on this year in Connecticut politics and CT Dems podcast will be covering all of it. Today, Mike Cerulli sits down with Secretary of the State Denise Merrill. They have a very good conversation about voting in Connecticut. Of course, this November, we've got the vote early voting amendment on the ballot. So uh, Connecticut voters will decide whether our state joins the dozens and dozens and dozens of others who uh, have early voting periods. And the next legislature will uh, be passing uh, legislation to get no excuse absentee balloting in Connecticut. But that one's at least two years off. Before any of that, we've got a couple of special elections in Connecticut. Coming up on March 1st, Mariam Khan is the Democratic candidate in the special election for Connecticut's 5th District. That's uh, parts of Hartford and Windsor. We'll be talking to her in a few minutes. But first, here's Mike's chat with Secretary of the State Denise Merrill. We want to welcome to the podcast now our Secretary of the State, Denise Merrill. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Mike. So you have had a quite a busy year um, between the elections, I guess busy two years really, it's 2022 now, <laughs> between the elections of 2020 and the reform efforts we've been uh, trying to push here in Connecticut. Why don't you give our listeners a quick overview of what has been done on sort of voting rights, and then maybe we can get into what is going to get done or what we're trying to push in this session. So start a bit with uh, what we have done and the progress we have made on voting rights in Connecticut. Sure. Um, And it has been a very uh, good time for Connecticut voters Uh, in the last couple of years, despite COVID. uh, That was our, of course, very serious challenge in 2020, particular for the 2020 election. But luckily in Connecticut, we were able to make some changes to things like absentee ballot voting. You know, Connecticut's very restrictive when it comes to absentee ballots, probably the most restrictive state in the country, ironically, because we're a pretty yeah, ironic place <laughs> otherwise. Um, but we were able to um, get an executive order that allowed people to get absentee ballots during COVID, which was ratified by the General Assembly. However, that is done now, but it was mm-hmm. great that we were able, it got us through 2020 and some of the special elections. But from now on, we're going to be back with the old rules. But that was something that I think was quite an accomplishment to get through 2020 gracefully as we did. And Um, and just remind our listeners, those old rules you referenced, that means who can get an absentee ballot. Talk a bit about the restrictions and sort of why we are behind other states or how (laughs) we're behind other states, really. Yeah, well, we are um, because it's in our state constitution, extremely unusual provision that uh, documents exactly who can get an absentee ballot. And Mm -hmm. it it has exceptions to the rule that you must appear in person. And so what it says is you may get an absentee ballot if you are unable to appear at the polls for the following four reasons. And there's four reasons. The most, I guess, famous of them is the one that says if you're out of town uh, and can't Mm -hmm. get to the polling place. 
that, and that now has a statute attached to it that also says all hours of the polling day. And most people know that if you're an insider in politics, but um, very few people used absentee ballots in Connecticut because right, of this. Right. Now, it was like 4% of our vote was by absentee. In 2020, it was like 35% of the voters used wow. <laughs> and they love them. They want them back. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be very difficult to explain to the public where we are with this. Um, and that's why we're hoping to mount a very substantial public information campaign. We have asked for $2 million in the governor's budget and in the legislature's budget to uh, do a big campaign about where we are. Hey, voters, this is mm -hmm. how you use an absentee ballot under the current situation. But the truth is right now we're still under those strictures of absentee ballots. We have tried to pass what, what we need to change that, which is a constitutional amendment, which is mm -hmm. extremely difficult. It's a long process. Uh, we've gone through one part of it, but the truth is unless uh, a substantial number, 75% of the legislature wow. would have to vote to put it on the ballot and they didn't. So that won't right. be on the ballot if at all, until 2024. So right now we have the sorry task, I guess, of trying <laughs> to explain to people that we're not under the new rules. We have to revert to the old rules unless the legislature decides to change it again, which they could, right. which mm -hmm. kind of makes my life miserable because it could happen <laughs> at any moment, you know, you never know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but for oh. now, that's all of us need to try to help the public and our voters understand that they can still get an absentee ballot, but not because of COVID. Right. Only now, if you're out of town or if you have an illness that prevents you from getting to the polling mm -hmm. place. Interesting. Now, one thing the legislature will be considering, I think will be considering, um, is early voting. Um, and that's another way to expand ballot access. I'm a student at UConn, and particularly, I, I really yes. <laughs> would love to have the ability to vote early uh, in Connecticut. So, talk a bit about the efforts on early voting. Yeah, actually, it is the public that's going to be voting on early voting. The legislature right, right. has already okayed it. It will be on the ballot in 2022. And that's something everybody has to know about. Anybody involved in trying to get voters to vote should know that it's on the ballot because I think it's a great way to get people out to vote. The public is overwhelmingly in support of this idea because mm -hmm. it will make it easier for everybody. Um, it, it basically means that we would have more than just that Tuesday to vote. So for example, you could vote for whatever the legislature decides, let's say it's five days. So people who have to go to work on Tuesday would be able to vote, let's say on the Friday before or the Thursday right, right. Before, or over the weekend. Um, and that that's gonna make it a lot easier just on everyone to manage the election, including the local officials, because you can right. split the vote out. You won't have the long lines anymore. I mean, there's lots of advantages to it. So we, but we just have to make sure everybody remembers it's on the ballot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just be, for, our, yeah. for, for, our, yeah, for our listeners, what does that, so, you know, who are only from Connecticut, right? They, they might not know what early voting exactly looks like. They're going to their town halls. They go to their regular voting locations. What does that look like if you're, have the ability to vote early? Well, we won't really know until the legislature puts down all the rules. All this constitutional amendment does is allow them to do it. Right now, right. the constitution forbids them from doing it. So we have to pass this constitutional amendment and then we can decide all that. We can do like Texas has 30 days of voting. Mm -hmm. uh, Florida has 12, I think. 
but most of them have somewhere between five and 10 extra days of voting. And, um, you know, there's lots of models to look at because 36 states, no, 46 states now have early voting. <laughs> we don't. So we can do it whatever way the legislature uh, decides, but that'll be the, that's the way it will work. And it won't, it won't be into effect for 2022, obviously, but it right, certainly right. could be in for 2023. And for voters going to the polls this November of 2022, I'm assuming that the ballot question is going to be one of those long paragraph long things. Is it going to be a yes or a no? How's it going to look on the ballot for, for voters who are interested in supporting the initiative? It is actually not a long one. Uh, we didn't make that mistake twice. We made that <laughs> mistake in 2014. It was incomprehensible, I think, for most mm. people, and they all just voted no or ignored it. Um, no, this time it will just say, should Connecticut allow early voting? Something like that. It's very short, uh, should be easily understood. But again, our public information campaign is going to help. And there are advocacy groups working on getting the message out about voting on the constitutional amendment. So that's great, too. Outstanding. Well, um, as we're talking about voting in 2022, um, you have worked and the legislature has worked to make sure that not only can everyone like myself who voted in 2020 vote in 2022, but more people who have not, who have not usually had the right to vote uh, will be able to vote. Talk a bit about those efforts to expand access to the ballot for folks who may historically have not had access to, to the right to vote. Yeah, while we've been a little bit stymied on the early voting and voting by absentee front, we have made great progress on other fronts. For example, you know, we put in place the whole voter registration system through the DMV which we're also uh, now, as of last legislature, codifying to go into, be available to college students. For example, at UConn now, you'll be able to register to vote right as you register for classes. Um, and then uh, so Department of Social Services, uh, a lot of the other state agencies now will provide kind of an automatic voter registration system uh, to mm. populations that maybe interact with that particular agency. So that's great progress. We've been trying to do that for years and uh, our technology was a little behind the times, shall we say. So that's great. Uh, we also, of course, um, made the ballot boxes permanent. So the ballot boxes were a new addition to Connecticut voting, not so much in other states again. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, they were great and we were able to make it a permanent fixture. So you, those ballot boxes will be available in every town in the state. You can just drop your absentee ballot into the box. So that's great. Um, and we also expanded the right to vote to parolees. Traditionally in Connecticut, you could get your right to vote back uh, if you were released from prison and you were on probation. Uh, hmm. But now, even if you're released from a facility, you get you can renew your voting rights if you are still on parole as well. So that will expand our electorate tremendously to a lot of people who need to be brought back into society. Uh, so we've made a lot of progress on voter registration, on uh, voting rights, and making it easier for people to vote. I'm proud of those efforts. Connecticut should be proud. We've got a great system. I would defend it anywhere. 2020 <laughs> was like, it was amazing how many people voted and how smoothly it went. I mean, when mm -hmm. you consider all the hassles we had, you know, not just COVID. I mean, we had to make make the polling places safe, not only absolute right, ballots. Right. Um, we had to get PPE and all that stuff. It was amazing. <laughs>
we're going to break away from Mike talking to Denise Merrill for my conversation with a candidate in the special election coming up on March 1st. That's Mariam Khan. On March 1st, uh, viewers around the country will be watching President Biden deliver his State of the Union address, but voters in Hartford and Windsor will be going to the polls. We are joined today by Miriam Khan, who is the uh, Democratic nominee in the special election going on in that district. This is for the Connecticut House of Representatives. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, so, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, what brought you into uh, local politics in Windsor, and uh, what compelled you to step up and run for the for the open seat? Okay. Um, so, I am a teacher. I've taught um, in various levels of education, from preschool all the way until um, high school. And you know, I'm a mother of three children. I live in Windsor. I've graduated from Windsor High School many years ago. And now my children are in Windsor Public Schools. And so what compelled me first to run for um, office for the Board of Education about five years ago was, you know, I'm passionate about education, passionate about um, making sure that our schools have the resources they need um, to be successful. And so I, I, you know, got involved in the local Board of Ed. Um, and now, like, you know, after I've been on the Board of Ed for, for about four and a half years, I've served, served in various roles. I'm currently the vice president and um, have been teaching in, you know, different, a few different districts. I just uh, know that, you know, a lot more of what I want to do and implement for public schools uh, can be done at that state level. And so when there was a vacancy for this seat, you know, um, I explored uh, the possibility of running because I felt that, you know, public education is at a um, important time. It's very important that we fund our public schools. We make sure our teachers are well supported because we have this teacher shortage that has been exacerbated by the pandemic. And, you know, of course, um, money is a, a, an issue for a lot of um, districts across and uh, people are uh, leaning towards cut towards public education. And um, I think it's important that as a state, we really look at, you know, making sure that our schools are well-funded, teachers are supported, and that we're retaining our, our talent. So that was why I ran. Yeah, this, that, I mean, obviously a particularly huge issue now, right? Education is always a huge issue. Of course it is. However, in the last two years, we've seen schools need to sort of reinvent themselves and a lot of extra pressure on both kids and on teachers. So what, um, Drill down a little bit. What are you seeing in Windsor that, that your teachers uh, need for support and your students need for support um, that may translate to, to something you can help out with at the state level? Yep. I think, you know, some of the things that we have implemented in Windsor, I would like to see implemented in, in districts across um, the state. I think Windsor is a town that, you know, we do um, fund our schools to the, you know, extent that we can, like we do, um, give them the resources that they need. And we have implemented many things that have helped them be successful during the pandemic. Uh, one of the things Windsor has done before the pandemic is we've ensured that we had one-to-one -one devices. So we had a device for every child in the school, um, even if they didn't take it home, but it was available. And so when the pandemic hit, you know, when we had to give Chromebooks out to students to start online learning, we already had those devices, whereas some districts were struggling because they didn't have those devices, right? So Windsor had put in many things in place before that 
already led to us being more successful. Like my three children were doing online learning and, you know, they had Chromebooks, they know how to use them. They know how to use Google Classroom. They kind of were set right from the, the start. So that was a huge advantage that we had and some other districts had, but a lot of districts did not have that. Many couldn't do online learning because they didn't have the one-to-one -one device. So, you know, I want to be able to, to say uh, if this, the rest of the state can implement some of those great things that we've done in Windsor. Uh, the district spans Windsor and parts of Hartford. There are lots of neighborhoods. There are lots of constituencies. As you're going around talking to voters, what are some of the issues that arise, um, whether it's education or elsewise uh, or otherwise, um, what are some of the issues that arise where you see different needs in different places and different needs among different groups of, of folks you're going to represent? Yep. So, um, you know, the district is very... Uh, uh, different depending on where in the district you go, but the issues um, sometimes are similar. Uh, most of, you know, people that I've talked to in my district really care about education, um, whether it's strengthening our public school or making them better, figuring out how to retain our teachers. Um, that's a big, um, you know, issue for many people that I've speak, spoken with. Um, but aside from education, uh, you know, there are some uh, many people that have spoken to me about housing concerns, um, whether that means safe um, housing, adequate housing. Um, I know that in the North End particularly, you know, a lot of people deal with unsafe housing situations, um, uh, often, um, you know, dealing with things such as evictions, homelessness, and, and, and I've seen in schools when I worked for her for public schools, what that kind of looked like even, and how that affected child's education. So, you know, I, I know that when we're talking about education and funding our schools, we can't have that conversation without saying, let's address housing, let's address safety, let's address, you know, the issues of that community, because all of that plays into a child's education. And so we have to look at those can, things kind of together. But um, other than that, um, also just affordable housing for, um, you know, uh, young people that are fresh out of college and, and want to start off in, you know, uh, uh, live in an affordable place. A lot of that uh, talent that we, you know, uh, have grown in Windsor and in Hartford, uh, young people are leaving. So they leave Windsor and Hartford because we don't have enough affordable housing to keep our young people. And so I think that's also an area that we need to explore for the district. Uh you're running in a special election, um, and the lines that are that are drawn right now uh, is one district. Um, whomever wins will run uh, most likely in November uh, again, and the lines will be a little different. What's what's going to change in your in in the fifth uh, district of the Connecticut Legislature? So the fifth district, you know, will change a little um, for all three or both towns involved, and then actually a third town will join. So. We are going to gain, yep, we're going to gain a part of South Windsor, um, a small part of South Windsor. Uh, Windsor will have a, a, a little bit more of um, our northern portion because uh, Bobby Gibson will no longer have Windsor in the next um, district lines. And then um, the north end of Hartford will get a small, a, a little smaller for the fifth district. So a little more will go to other parts of um, Hartford's districts. So we'll still have Windsor, we'll still have uh, North End, the lines will change a little. And then the unique um, part will be that we'll also have a part of South Windsor.
Awesome. So uh, Mariam Khan is, again, the Democratic nominee in the special election on Wednesday. Where can people uh, find out a little bit more about you? Uh, the special election is on next week, Tuesday, March 1st. Um, and then um, so people can find out more about me. Um, you can go on our website. It's just Khan for Khan. So K-A-H-N, uh, K-H-A-N for C-O-N-N dot com. Uh, you can also go to our Facebook page and look up Miriam Khan for state representative, Instagram or Twitter. You know, a lot of people use the four CT ending on their uh, uh, names. And then I noticed that you guys did the con for con. I was like, that's officially clever. Good job. Yes. If you do con for CT, it will also lead to our page. See, now that's just smart. That's just smart yeah. marketing because uh, the people get to you either way. Uh, Miriam Khan, thank you for joining us today. And again, the special election is on Tuesday, March 1st. Thank you. We now take you back to the second half of Mike Cerulli's chat with Secretary of the State, Denise Merrill. Um, you mentioned the 2020 election. We've referenced it a few times now. You mentioned how smoothly it went, and that is an undeniable fact. I think it's been backed up multiple times. There are some people who will remain nameless for right now uh, who don't believe that that election went smoothly. And because of that, um, Secretaries of State, your colleagues around the country were thrust into the national conversation about voting rights, about elections, about about uh, <laughs> extreme yeah. politics in our country. I wonder if you could talk a bit about that because you've you've been Secretary of State here in Connecticut for a while now, and you, um, I know we've talked a bunch of times about the, the the sort of role that that position plays in the state. A lot of people might not necessarily know what the Secretary of State does. Now I think a lot of people know exactly what a Secretary of State does because they've been forced to do their jobs very publicly in states like Georgia and Arizona. Talk a bit about the added attention that your position nationally has gotten and maybe a bit about how you've talked through with your colleagues about um, some of the crazy stuff that happened in the 2020 election. Oh, it, it's been frankly kind of horrifying. Um, mm -hmm. the, the issue we have right now in America is the mistrust that's been created around our elections, mm -hmm. really for the first time in anyone's memory. Um, and it sort of took us by surprise because for years, we've been doing elections, hundreds of years, and we mm -hmm. did it pretty much the same way we always do it. And there's a lot of mechanics to it. And there's a lot of checks and balances that people didn't even think about or question. And all of a sudden in 2020, because our former president kept saying he should have won the election. And by the way, mm -hmm. every election, there's lots of people that lose that think they should have won the election. <laughs> right, um, right, right. You know, it's, it, this is not a new phenomenon. What is new is someone claiming that they won when they actually lost uh, to the extent that he has. And he has millions of people that are starting to believe it. And um, the misinformation that's out on the internet mostly has created the situation where people are very, very hostile to election officials, not just secretaries of state, by the way, also mm -hmm. local election officials are being threatened with their lives. I mean, it's almost hard to believe, honestly. And when I first heard it, of course, we heard it during the election with Georgia and my colleague, right. Brad Raffensperger, who is a Republican, um, and, you know, we probably all know now that the president called him and tried to get him to change the results of the election in the state of mm -hmm. Georgia, which is, uh, at the time, it was so appalling and so 
unprecedented that it, it was almost like out of a movie, a bad movie. Right, right. <laughs> Very bad movie, a scary movie. Yeah. And, and so it's continued on. And a lot of people have sort of drunk the Kool-Aid. They believe that our elections were, you know, had fraud, voter fraud everywhere. I have to tell you, we say it all the time, there's very little voter fraud in the United States. Right, I think that's right. across the board. But uh, I, what there is now is kind of election fraud and that's what's going on now. You have people that are now running for office for secretary of state who claim mm -hmm. that the January 6th uh, riot was a legitimate form of pub, uh, political expression. Mm -hmm. They're now running for office so that they can go inside the election system and be able to change votes to get the right person to win, so-called. I think it's um, it's a very frightening time in, in, in election land. And my colleagues have been threatened. Uh, we're working with the FBI. Mm -hmm. We now have a new committee working with us where we can report incidents that we get and they have to be they're very violent they're not just like oh i don't like you and you should do your right, job right. differently these are these are very very vocal and immediate threats of violence to these people mostly mm -hmm. in the swing states i have to say i've never been happier not to be a swing state <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, I, I cannot say i have not had threats of violence against me personally I have had many threatening emails, as we all do in government these days, mm -hmm. but nothing like that. But my colleague in Michigan, for example, Jenna um, uh, Jocelyn Benson, had her house attacked, literally mm. guns wow. shot at her house. She has people with Uzis marching in front of her house because it's an open carry state and they can carry mm -hmm. around machine guns and they're marching in front of her house. She has constant police protection for herself and her family. And this is all because they feel that, quote, the election was stolen. So it's a it's a really terrible time in elections. There's a lot of going to be a lot of turnover in secretaries. I have to say, I am not running again. It is not because of any of this. Um, but it's um, it's so important, this role right now, the role of Secretary of State, because we feel we are the firewall. We are the guardians of elections. And that goes for a lot of local election officials, too. Mm -hmm. Here in Connecticut, we have 169 towns. Every town has a Republican and a Democratic registrar, and every town has a town clerk's office. And they are doing their jobs, and they love this work. They don't do it for the money, trust me. <laughs> And it's um, and and a lot of them are volunteers. There's thousands of volunteers that work on elections. I mean, these are the folks that are, they should be the heroes of our mm. society. Uh, and instead, they're being pilloried by people that just wanted Donald Trump to win. And yeah. um, so I, I would just urge everyone when you're thinking about who you are going to support for a Secretary of State, realize the importance of this office, the gravity of the situation, and make sure that Connecticut stands strong against these efforts to compromise our vote. Couldn't agree more. And can I just, we just go back to that, that your colleague, uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger in, in Georgia. Um, I, I just, every time I hear that story, I think about how crazy it is. Could you even conceive of a world where on November 9th of 2020, Joe Biden called you and said, you know, Secretary Merrill, I need you to find me a few thousand votes in Connecticut. Could you could you find? I mean, could you even conceive of that phone call and the the, no. the world? That, yeah. No, no. And I would hang up the phone. I mean, mm -hmm. I would. You know, we're not beholden to anyone but the public. 
the public put me here, not Joe Biden or not anybody else like that. Uh, it, and it's that's that's what's so out outlandish about all this. It's it's like out of a comic book or. Yeah you know, a superhero and the villains and the good guys and the bad guys. I mean, it's like, we've all been watching too many movies. Yeah, mobster movies too. <laughs> and it happened so quickly. And we've all been just trying to figure out what to do about this onslaught of misinformation and downright lies that are being promoted on the internet. And I could give you a list of them and some of them are so ridiculous and you can't imagine anyone would believe such a thing. But we don't know, it's very, very difficult in a free society to stop things from being said, whatever it is that you don't happen to like. And, you know, we're working with the uh, big companies like Facebook and Google and so mm -hmm. forth to try to stop the worst of it that's actually violent or advocating overthrow of the government and that sort of right, thing. Right. But um, all we can think of to do, and I keep saying this to everyone who asks me, all I can think of to do is just keep telling the truth. Mm -hmm. informing people about how elections actually work on the ground. And, and hopefully people will begin to understand how their elections actually do work. And maybe mm -hmm. that'll help. Well, I mean, that's, we can only hope that that happens. I think, you know, one of the things that's always struck me about these, these conspiracy theories is just the pure logistical effort it would take to do some of these things that they're claiming were done is like i mean i've i've never worked as a poll worker but i've i've worked on a number of campaigns where i've been at the polls on election day and seen the kind of logistics of the ballots and all that and it's like to, to take take arizona for example the claim there is that tens of thousands potentially hundreds of thousands of ballots would have had to have been changed it's just it's just incredulous to think that that, that could have happened <laughs> i mean that that's or even that someone could believe that that happened I know, exactly. I mean, if you think about it for longer than 30 seconds, you're going to know <laughs> that it's impossible to imagine organizing such a disorganized, uh, decentralized group. Uh, and it's always been like that. And it's jealously guarded, particularly here in Connecticut. We don't even have county government. Many of the states right, have right. county government that organize the elections. But um, yeah, I just hope this is a passing phase that will die down at some point and people will regain their trust in our elections because I really think they should have trust in our elections. Uh, exactly. I'm saying that as someone who's been inside on the ground for many years. Um, are there mistakes made? Sure, sometimes, uh, but mm -hmm. you know, incredibly rarely. Um, and so that's all I can say. I hope that we regain our, our faith in our government uh, because it will take us down if we don't. I couldn't agree more. And you mentioned before that you will not be running for re-election this year. So the first thing we want to do as, as, as listeners, as Connecticut Democrats, is thank you for all the years of service you've given to the state um, and all the energy you've brought to the party. So thank you so much for all of that. Um, and I won't ask you to take sides in what's, what's uh, shaping up to be a pretty uh, crowded primary field. What I will ask you, though, is if you were to give a piece of advice to the person, whoever he or she that might be, that, that succeeds you, um, a piece of advice about being Secretary of State of Connecticut, what would it be? And maybe what might be in that note you leave in the desk um, in January of next year? Mm. Well, I think I would say um, in the face of the many different opinions and um, points of view that are out there, remember that you, you represent everyone, even though your party puts you there, whatever that party is. 
and to stay strong. Um, it's going to be tough to manage that, to balance the rights of everyone and also balance the, the election process itself. And it's not the only thing you do in this office. You're also responsible for business registry, lots of other things. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult management job to begin with, but you are the voice of democracy. And so I would urge whoever takes this job, like I say, stay strong, um, make sure you're positive and try to maintain people's trust in your administration. I think that would be the word I'd use most often. So trust and remember that you are the voice of democracy. That's, I think, a great note to end it on. Secretary of the State, Denise Merrill, thank you so much for joining us. Do you have any parting words for our listeners? Oh. Uh, who I'm, sure, I'm sure you're not going anywhere. I'm sure we're going to keep hearing from you and you're going to be around uh, for years to come and active in the party. But just for this episode, do you have any parting words for our, for our listeners? Oh, I, I just love every person I've met out there. I'm going to miss people so much. That's the thing I miss the most is going to all those dreadful chicken dinners that everybody always <laughs> tries to avoid and spaghetti suppers. But, you know, I've loved it. I've been running for office for 30 years in Connecticut and the last 12 as secretary. And I've made so many friends. And, you know, I'm just going to miss that part of it. But it's been a wonderful time. Uh, it's a great career. I hope to spend some of my time encouraging young people to run for office, to, um, to be part of things, you know, not to shy away from it. It's a little tough right now, but we need you. And so I would love to spend that time uh, with younger people. They keep me young too. Thanks for tuning in. Again, this is an enormous election year. The midterms always are. Sure, President Biden isn't on the ballot, but Governor Lamont is, along with Senator Blumenthal, all five of our members of Congress, and the entire Connecticut legislature. If you want to get involved, ctdems.org slash volunteer is a great way to do it. Uh, stay tuned to our podcast, of course, and check out our socials. We're on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please follow us over there to keep up with everything going on in this critical election year. And of course, we'll be back with another installment of Kineticrats, the CT Dems podcast. Talk to you soon.